Hello, everybody, and welcome to Bad End Podcast, episode 107. I'm your host, Kyle Cookstell, joined as always by, ooh, just kidding, Joshua Clickstow is not here today. Instead, we have a very, very, very special episode. So normally on Bad End Podcast, we talk about games. Today, that is still the case. However, I am joined by two special guests, one of which has been on Bad End Podcast before, who you might also know from such things as heterotopias and other waters, and the recently announced Citizen Sleeper, Gareth Damian Martin's on the podcast Hi. today. Say hello, Gareth. Hello. Gareth's here. Uh, listen, you're you're a big deal, but we have a bigger deal guest today. You may know him as uh, Greg, Shedworks Greg, or the developer of the recently much critically acclaimed Sable, Greg. I don't actually know how to say your last name. I realized I should have asked you that before we started. Keith Riotis, that's it. Keith Riotis. You kind of got my Greg Keith Riotis from Sable uh, is on the show. Greg, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's uh, great to be here. Yeah. (laughs) So we wanted to do a podcast where uh, we talked about game development and I thought, Greg, obviously Sable just came out. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone's playing it. Opinions are all over the place. So you're like in the hot seat right now for game development. Gareth, you put out in other waters a few years ago. So it's like, it's a little, I think it's sort of mellowed out. You are working on Citizen Sleeper, but you're sort of, I actually don't know where really you are in terms of development. And then I'm obviously, for people who've listened, I'm working on Cantata and we're looking to release soon TM as well. So we wanted to do a podcast where we talked, or I, I guess specifically, talked to other game developers specifically about game development and people who are in the process of putting out games or having just put out games. And so both of you obviously have a lot of stuff that's happened um, kind of in that realm. And so I just wanted to talk about it. I wanted to get it out. Greg, if you want to vent, this is the (laughs) podcast. This is the, (laughs) I'm usually quite diplomatic. So I have to be careful. I mean, not in real life, not in real life. Gareth can attest to that, but, um, yeah. So so we should, we should say before like that both that Greg and I work two doors down from each other, um, in the same building. And so that's why, Oh wow. We're literally neighbors. In fact, during Sable's development, we actually worked in the same room as well. I, I, rented a desk in the same studio as Shedworks. So yeah, I've been kind of yeah. tagging along with them for a bit. Gareth, you're making bad ends sound way less cool. Cause you're like, Oh, I just knew him. <laughs> like, oh, man, the clout of bad end was so good that Greg saw and was like, man, I got to get on yeah. bad end. Yeah. No, it's just, no, that yeah, was the, it. the that secret was it. is that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I just really wanted to undercut that but introduction. What did you want me to say again? Yeah. He's going to clip it. Yeah, yeah. I'll prompt you when you're supposed to say the cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote yeah. it down earlier. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah. So, so Gareth worked with Greg. I think that, that was, I think that's something, I mean, let's just talk about that. So I just want to, I want to get into it. Um, we can talk specifics about Sable and other waters and Citizen Sleeper and I don't know, Cantata, maybe, uh, maybe like a little later, but I think like, I think just from like a process perspective um, and like game development specifically. So you two are both working out of a studio. Like what is your process? Like, what does it mean to um, one of my first questions I actually have on the list is like, how do you define game development? That can mean like a lot of different things, but I think both of you, especially I know Gareth, Greg, I'm not so sure about you, but like from, what looks like largely non-traditional backgrounds. Like how would you specifically define game development? Me or Gareth? Uh, let's go with Gareth. 
But, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're also both we're also both British, so it's going to be a very polite podcast. Um, so <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. I I feel funny about things like that because I think that I come from, like you say, I come from a kind of weird background of theater and like i guess like them like games journalism but also like a lot most of my work that is kind of similar to game development in the past was like um video design um for events and theater and like also kind of exhibition design and like working for an agency that did that kind of work and that's kind of in a way like more similar to game development in my brain than the other like stuff that i did like experimental literature or games journalism because it's very much like a design process Mm -hmm. and so I guess that for me, like in a way, making a game is not so different from making those things. It doesn't have like a, a rarefied place in my brain where it's like, oh, yeah, making a game is special and different from other design processes. I kind of feel like I take similar paths through it and I kind of structure my time in the similar way that I would if I was working on any project. And I, th- I mean, I think that mm-hmm. has in part led to be I've become slightly infamous at my publisher for for delivering my games on time and delivering things on time. But I genuinely think that's because I come from a theatre background and there is no... Greg just rolled his eyes, by <laughs> yeah, the way. I can see that from here. Um, no, the, the, the kind of... I'm not trying to brag, but it's more like... I think it's kind of emblematic of like coming from a theatre background where it's mm-hmm. like it has to go it has to go up on the day. And so you actually just cut and you like work around that and you're, you're constantly focused on just like, okay, that's the day I said I would do it and I'm going to do it on that day. There is no delays. And so actually like, that's not necessarily like a better form of development, right? Because it also means that I, I, I aggressively slash my games like as I work on them. And like, I'm very, like I'm constantly reassessing scope like all the time. Every week I'm thinking mm-hmm. about scope and I'm, I'm working to that, trying to fit that scope into that space I've got. So yeah, I guess like in terms of defining game development, I also guess because I work solo, it's just so, it's just my process. Like so much of it is just me and mm-hmm. me like um, just working how I want to work and leaving like I leave massive gaps in my games and I don't finish stuff I just come back and finish it later it's like this is the big this is the massive I think benefit of solo development is you can just kind of like I can write a character I can be like I want like working on Citizen Sleeper I'll be like oh I want this kind of character in the game and I'll write like an introductory scene and then I'll just leave them alone because I'll know that in a few months time mm-hmm. something will reconnect with them at some point in future and then I will f- like organically find ways to reintegrate them back into the story or you know I don't do that kind of like media production thing of like I sit down and I like do an outline and a synopsis and I stick to those and I follow a script because I don't have to mm-hmm. so I can work very freely you know, much more like maybe an author. I think maybe some of my practices also are more, because my work is so writing focused, they can be quite more more like a kind of literary process of like just me sitting down and kind of like figuring stuff out and then having ideas, feeding those back in and like building and building and building and just like amassing a certain volume of stuff. But yeah, so I don't know. I don't know anything about game development, basically. I just, I'm, I'm genuinely, <laughs> I just know about like my process I, I would have no chance of surviving in a in a triple A studio, um, or like I don't know I could not d- direct The Last of Us like that would be impossible for me. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean I think in a similar way uh, I was never a game developer before Shedworks, but Shedworks is my first professional uh, career as well. So I mean we started straight from university. We graduated uh, Daniel and I, and we kind of started Shedworks as a like internship for 
what we were doing, but I had studied architecture and Daniel had studied uh, comparative literature. So neither of us knew how to make games. And I mean, uh, we were making games in my parents' shed. And uh, I mean, literally, we had no idea what we were doing. I mean, I had some background in like 3D design and uh, some 2D art and design elements, but uh, and then architectural design. But we know, made no games with uh, buildings in them for the first like three years. That was useless. Uh, and um, but you know, I mean, we were we were so so raw. We were literally. I mean, we were handing USB. We didn't have any source control, so we were handing USB sticks uh, of like updates to each other and like manually merging uh, between us for about the first year i'd say that was like a good year oh of development. yeah it was and there were, <laughs> there were more of us at the time it, it kind of went down down to the two of us and then back up again for sable but um yeah i mean you know those those first couple of years were just learning 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 and uh a lot of it was just going you know seeing what other people did trying to learn from other indie developers mm-hmm. um Daniel did a few freelance projects. He worked on snipper clips right before we started Sable. Mm. Um, so picking up bits here and there, um, like how to use source control. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, so eventually we've kind of worked out a process, but even on Sable, um, after having a couple of years of experience, that process was chaotic in its own way in that we never expected to get the kind of response that we did. So we were constantly kind of like planning a slightly smaller project and then finding like, okay, we got, we got some funding, we got a publisher now. Okay. So now we can right. expand this a little bit and then quite maybe a year in or so we got this like game pass deal and then it was like, okay, now we can expand the scope even more. And, you know, it meant that we delayed the game and we delayed the game, but that was also because we were like, oh, we could, we can delay the game. Um, you know, if I think if we thought, no, we have to draw the line, then we could have figured it out. And I mean, that's kind of what happened in the last year and a half because we could have done mm-hmm. double the content. But at some point we were just like, we're gonna, we're already sick of this. We just need to get it out the door. And um, <laughs> and I mean, you know, that was part of Sable specifically is that, uh, and I remember having a discussion with someone at Xbox early on, they just said to me like, so where are you going to draw the line? And I, I was like, I, I don't know. I don't, I... <laughs> Uh, and we kind of had to figure that out as we went along and um, but yeah so so basically kind of figuring it out as we go and hopefully the next production will be a lot more uh, planned and straightforward and and kind of not with the same level of delays but um, but you know that was also like as part of the like I mean we delayed a few times but part of that is we announced so early, like I wasn't even that comfortable announcing how early we did. And then, you know, when we, when we announced, uh, we were also asked, can you give us a release date? And the initial release date was like, okay, December, 2019. And it was like, if you slip Maybe. one month, yeah. <laughs> but if you slip one month, then you're 2020 straight away. You're yeah. like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, and then, so, so we, we were like, okay, let's do a year later. And then you're December, 2020 and you have exactly the same issue. And you're like, Anyway, the, I guess the point is showing it publicly led us to the support that we got. But in an ideal world, um, hopefully for our next project, we're announcing the project with a very clear plan to market. And, and you know, uh, 
then the development feels less chaotic because you're not getting, oh, we have some surprise support here. We have surprise support here. And it's like, oh, great. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, so it's been this very, so to bring it back to like processing game development and stuff um, on table, it was a very like organic, constantly learning on the job process. Um, and I guess just as indie developers, your job is constantly like uh, jump, you know, you're constantly switching hats and, uh, trying different roles and um, this was the first game we had with buildings in it so at least I got to apply that knowledge but um, yeah yeah it's, it's funny you feel like you just ran through like 60 things I wanted to ask you about so much stuff so I've done a lot of interviews just gave like a great taste of every every little beat I think I mean one thing like I mean, so Sable, uh, for people who haven't seen it, if you're like living under a rock, it is like, a, it is a beautiful game. And I, I mean, I'm so, I don't want to like get into reviews quite yet, but I do want to like, I think one thing I was reading some reviews of Sable today, just to kind of like check the pulse of the internet about it. And one thing that I think was really interesting about it, especially I think has to do with the fact that like, it's basically your first game. There was scope creep took a long time to come out, whatever, is that despite those things, I think people, like some of the criticism I read against Sable, I think treats you guys as like a huge studio or like this is your like 10th game or something. Like there's no, there's like zero give for like, oh, it's their fucking first game. Like it's not like Nintendo. It's not like even some indie studio that's making their like, you know, their fourth version of this type of thing. It's like, their first thing. So people are like saying these things and I can't imagine what it's like to read that and just be like, we didn't fucking know. Like, we did. like this is our first time, man. Like yeah. it's amazing that it runs like that's <laughs> like, that's where it's like the line is. And I think like, I mean, I think even just um, something that I've like saw with, with doing like Cantato as part of Gamescom was like how far, players will go to like kind of be on the journey with you, so to speak, but also like give you no leeway where I think there's a, um, like, I feel like this era of like kind of hedging a little bit because it's indie or something is just gone. It's like, if you're putting out a game, it has to be professional. And if you're on steam or you're on Xbox or whatever, and like your game doesn't crash when it loads, you are now competing with the biggest games. Yeah. I'm interested sort of in Sable, like, especially cause I, I don't know how much was there. Like when that first gif hit, that was like so successful. And then to sort of like find that energy where it sounds like you took a pretty clear step to say, okay, well, we're not going to be this small thing. We're going to go bigger. Like what was that sort of experience? Like I think, and then I don't know, Gareth, if you have something to add to that as well, especially as someone who sounds like they don't do that, like where you're sort of how you're drawing those lines or how you're sort of shaping the thing as it's being done. Well, I think part of, you know, making the decisions early on that we made was that we hadn't done it before. <laughs> and now, <laughs> you know, hubris, basically, um, <laughs> foolishness, um, you know, but I think also uh, my mentality was always, uh, and I think was always, let's take the risk and yeah. rather than play it safe. And, you know, that accumulates and becomes the project and, you know, it reflects in different ways. And part of that is you take some risks in terms of how long things might take and, and mm-hmm. uh, how polished it is. And I mean, you're right in that, I mean, we're judged against, especially with a publisher, um, 
and and launching on console, uh, you're judged against yeah AAA and and triple I and whatever you know whoever mm-hmm. you know people kept talking. A difficult thing for us was people kept talking talking about Journey, for example, and it's like that's a two hour experience. <laughs> Maybe a much much bigger team. It's actually a much smaller game in a lot of ways than what and we it's made. much smaller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we were trying to do writing. You know, we, you know, we're trying to and. Uh, Obviously, it's more polished, and we were making an open world game. So, it, yeah, all these things accumulate, and you know, we're we're, we're getting to do updates now. Um, we are learning, and we learn a lot of lessons by doing this. Um, and I mean, but then I think some people, you know, I look at Swery's last game, and like the game before, and the game before that, and maybe the game before that. And like they, <laughs> they all released at a similar level of like they call him yeah. the king of jank, right? Like it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And like it's just part of the like uh, fun there. Whereas I don't know something about I think I think the combination of like okay, it's Breath of the Wild adjacent, it's it's Journey adjacent, yeah. it's you know it's all these things that are like re- oh, Shadow of Colossus. Oh, it's talking, you know, and like we don't get to have that sort of. Um, that's what people are suddenly like evoking in their heads and yeah i mean it it's 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 how it is like we can't we can't run away from that we you know there are pluses to that and there are negatives um but yeah it, it i mean someone someone described in like in the bad end discord someone said um when sable first came out they said that sable is like uh it's like Breath of the Wild if Breath of the Wild benefited from playing Breath of the Wild, which I think was a really interesting statement to make. And I think like, I, I think like, especially some of the stuff like, I mean, you're, you are in some ways baiting those comparisons with like the stamina bar climbing and stuff. Like I'm wondering sort of like, I don't know when you guys started on Sable, but I think especially as it sounds like you were sort of defining and drawing the lines around it. Like, did you feel like you were sort of glomming on to stuff that was working in the similar design space as you were producing it? Or were you like, Oh fuck, like they just did that and we were doing that. And now we're going to like have to work with a breath of the wild comparison. Like, cause obviously yeah. breath of the wild didn't invent stamina meters nor did it invent durability. Like those have existed for a very long time. Yeah. But like the, you know, that I don't know if you could thing. have told someone. In, yeah. That yeah, was like a tough in, thing. You know, it, I, I you're right. Like we did bait, we knew we were baiting those comparisons. <laughs> and I mean, uh, I remember the first reveal for Breath of the Wild and we had, we kind of had the idea for what Sable would be for about a year before yeah. that game came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. And it came out, it, it got re- uh, shown or announced. And I remember we, we both said, fuck, like, uh, <laughs> what's the point? Like, we, there's no point in us making, like, you know, they're doing it, they're doing it way better than we could ever dream of doing it and uh but then i think it turned it turned that conversation and we kind of saw it as an opportunity like it gave us a, a kind of paradigm through which to talk about the game right, but right, right. also we realized it would solve a lot of problems for us so like things just usability things that they had solved we could learn from and i mean that's true right, for like right. loads of video games but um but some of the you know the climbing and the gliding stuff for example you know i'm i'm we knew we wanted some form of climbing, but maybe not necessarily at that quite that free form, but it fit us and it fit what we wanted to do and it fit the themes of what right. we were going after. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, we thought, we thought we'd have enough t- like to distinguish ourselves just tonally, just uh, aesthetically, just in terms of the, the kind of 
sense that, you know, the feelings that the game would give you. So I think we were hoping to differentiate ourselves in that way. And I think we did in the end um, and the lack of combat and just it's a different rhythm in terms of what the game delivers, I think. Um, Although it's hard for me to experience that. that's why I've kind of <laughs> that's why I've kind of got the impression. Just flying of, around in debug mode, yeah. Pretty much. I mean, yeah. I would yeah, it's it's very hard. We we literally had no idea before we released. I I, I must have said to Gareth before we released, I said no idea what people were gonna think of this game. Not a clue. And uh, This is so crazy. Like I, I want I just want to pause you there because this is a thing that I have heard so often from creators, and I'm like blowing smoke up my ass like obviously you know and then like having worked on cantata and just stared at it so close for so long i have no fucking yeah. idea i'm yeah. like i'm like all i can see is what this thing is supposed to be based on like the roadmap i do not know if it is good anymore and i for people who are listening to this podcast like i really can't drive home this thing that greg is talking about is so real where it's i think it's very easy for people who just receive something like to understand that the creator knows how good or bad it will be. I think you have some indicators, right? You have wish lists, whatever, but even then that those can even be like, you know, they can be like a bad indicator based on like a million different other things. And I think to like realize that for, especially game creators staring at something for so long and then releasing it, you're just like, I have no idea. I think especially because we can talk about this a little later, like it's working in game development is so weird because there is not in the same way that there's a discussion about like, film production or whatever that can be very specific about the stuff of making films that I think builds this idea of solidarity and like, um, like associativeness to say like, okay, well they did that and I did this and it's roughly the same and I can feel this way. Game development can really quickly go to this place where you feel like you were just alone. You were alone because all of your problems are so specific to what you're specifically doing that it is hard to find any comparable thing person idea that is doing something in the same way you're doing it. And it just like, you feel like you just have blinders on, which is like very, very, very crazy. Gareth, I don't know how you're just doing this alone. That seems crazy. Cause I'm like, if I don't have, if I don't have a team, I'd be like, I have, I would get lost, you know, like I can't imagine doing that. Like, um, yeah, I mean, I have Greg down yeah, the hole. So that's, so that's, yeah. uh, that's my team. <laughs> got I got Greg, Greg and Daniel down the hole. Yeah, that's no. I mean, that's part of why it's so attractive to like come and. That's why I was like, can I come and work at a desk in your studio? Because, um, yeah, yeah, no, it's so yeah, it's so hard to know. It's so it's really, and I think also also all of us here are kind of to varying degrees like experimental designers. Like when we, the intention is not to like make something in a formula necessarily but like i think all three yeah it's not like a workmanship yeah exactly yeah exactly like some game developers i think really do they're like yeah i'm just gonna make like a very polished version of like this thing that already like exists almost like 90 percent of it in the world right and that that's i think it's totally viable but it's just not the way my brain works Mm -hmm. and i don't think it's the way that Greg's brain works and looking at Cantata I don't think it's the way your brain works either like none of of these games that we've made are like easy games to make I think and the all games are obviously hard to make but they're like yeah you get to that point I mean I had this really early on in In Other Waters where I was just like I'm gonna make a Metroid game and I don't want any of those stupid doors like uh, you know that like where they're like a really you know they're really like um break the immersion because they're just like why would there be all these stupid doors with different colors that are opened by different guns. And then you get like half six months into that. And then you're like, Oh fuck. Like 
I know why they had the I really doors. Need like, door. I, yes. I know why they have those yes. doors. Um, and then you're just like, I just like keep phoning <laughs> myself in cantata to being like, oh, that's why it's just minerals and Vespin <laughs> gas. That's why they didn't do supply lines. That's why they only have two resources instead of fifteen. Because fuck, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's why yeah. they have stamina meters, right? Like, oh, that's why. That's I think it. there's like. Um, I want, I, sorry, I interrupted you earlier, Greg. I think the, the thing I was wanted to say about what you were saying too, like that sort of anxiety of seeing Breath of the Wild, like for, for Cantata, I was like the only like Advanced Wars game in town for like five years. Wargroove got announced and I was like, fuck, mm. like that, yeah. that's, that's it. Like that's the thing. And then what I saw and I, what I feel like I saw again, like channeling the critical reception of Sable is that what, what these things have done is not like, I don't think that indie game development is like a zero sum game where like the three of us are fighting each other. I think what happens, especially for AAA is that like it or not, what these things do is actually sort of prime the pump in some ways and like grow the pot. Like, yeah. I think that maybe there is like a one-to-one between like horizon zero dawn and like far cry. And those people are fighting for eyes. But I think what happens for us is that we get to sort of live downstream of some of these bigger changes where like, I don't, I mean, what does a world without Breath of the Wild look like for Sable, right? Like you might have 10x less the audience size because people are not, like it takes something like Legend of Zelda to say like, hey, it's okay to have a quiet open world game. And then if you live downstream of that or like that doesn't happen, the pitch for Sable then becomes like so much harder. Yeah, which is I I think think that was, that was the biggest thing for us, for sure. Like just having that, that tool to communicate in a way what part mm-hmm. of the game was, you know, even in just like extremely reductive, broad terms, uh, you know, in a meeting, sometimes you just need to have that and you need to just be, be able to get your idea across. Um, and I mean, uh, you know, we looked at a lot of like Shadow of the Colossus, Horizon was another one we looked at. We looked at, right. you know, so many, so many different projects, but actually our, our game references were, they weren't the ones in the forefront of our mind whilst making the game. I'd say, you know, I pulled a lot more from architecture, a lot more from, uh, yeah, graphic novels and anime, you know, like Studio mm-hmm. Ghibli, those sorts of visual references. But maybe that's also because the, like, inbuilt, like, game knowledge. You know, I play games all the time anyway, so I don't actually have to actively look at them because it's just filtering through constantly. So I think even the way when we talk about it and when we discuss games, like, we're not usually referencing, like, other video games quite as much as maybe you would think, but maybe when you're just, you have to communicate to someone else who you don't know as well, then you're pulling from those references. And yeah, I think, yeah, like you said, that like, you know, showing someone the game the first time, I mean, our whole game was just about discovery. So like, I feel right. like even more, it was, there were, you know, there were times even early on where I've done a block out for a level or whatever, and I'm really trying to hide it from Daniel. I'm like, no, I need, I need you as fresh as possible on this. Uh, you know, and that's, you only get that once. And then after that, okay. And there were, there were levels where I would hide it. I'd, I'd progress through the team and I'd be like, okay, Daniel, you're allowed to see it now. I'm going to react to your feedback. And then Jordan, you're allowed to see it now. And I'm going to react to your feedback. And, and, you know, and then, and then you, you've used your chances with those people. And then, uh, and then you have to find other people outside the project or you have to, <laughs> But you, you, the thing, the nice thing is, I guess, the more you do that, by the end, you're able to, you know the tricks. You're like, okay, if I do this, mm-hmm. if I do that, then, then it'll create this sort of feeling and you can make a level or a, 
an experience in a in a much shorter period of time um and it'd be much more effective but that's the problem with games right you are learning how to make that game and by the end of it you're the best you've got a degree a master's degree in making that specific game but you don't have to make it anymore and you don't want to fucking make it Yeah, you don't want to touch it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're like, I'm so done. Yeah. This is like, I mean, this is like something that's really funny about ideas and just like, yeah, just like game cycles of production, right? Like, I don't know like when you had the idea for Sable, but there's this thing with games that I think that both of you can like, um, like, like, uh, like recognize and, and sort of like, I don't know, hate in some degree where because games take so long, they represent this part of you that existed like, five, 10 years ago. Like, it's like, I don't know when you guys came up with Sable, but you're like, Oh, this idea was a really cool idea when I was 23. I'm now like 29 and I'm still working on this fucking game and I'm a different person now. Damn it. Like I'm not defined by these same things, but you have to like carry it through. So you start to like, I mean, you don't start to resent the idea, but it really feels like sort of getting rid of it. It does not feel like this sort of moment necessarily of like generativeness. It feels like, okay, that's done. Like it's just yeah. out of the way. And then players, you know, review bomb you on steam and you have to like make it better or whatever. <laughs> well, that's the like, problem. You still have to work on it once it's done. You still if have to work done, on it and you don't want to work on it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like we're still, you know, we're still looking at like another, I don't know, six months or whatever, at least I'd, I'd say, you know, just, just keep you on doing stuff and yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, we'll, you know, we'll take a little break and, you know, uh, rest a bit, but you, yeah, it really did feel like we needed to purge this shit and like get it <laughs> fucking out. Um, but uh, and I think I think Daniel would would agree to that. Um, I think him more than me in some ways. Um, but we were we were exhausted by the end. I mean, we were just yeah. And I mean, that's the case. I think for I think even if you've not really pushed yourself, and I mean, we had a lot of problems with COVID and production, and you know, it caused, it caused some a lot of disruption with our team because of the way we had structured it just just before the pandemic hit we kind of planned like to have this shared space and then we had to readapt again and that was mm-hmm. very difficult and so we were really exhausted from that as well and just the emotional exhaustion i mean i kind of knew it was coming from previous games we've launched and i mean previous games we've launched had done nothing really when you release them it's like it's 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 horrible like it's a really horrible experience to release a video game i think and we knew this one would have, you know, actually have people playing it and actually have people I'd heard of reviewing it and stuff. Well, like, yeah, um, I think like you guys, like the, like Sable, I think sort of for me, especially like you, like you guys and Ooblets sort of like defined like Twitter GIF marketing strategy. Like you started that and we're still like the biggest people to do that. And I can't imagine like that sort of burden that comes from that. We are like, yeah, it's really great that we have like, all these likes on a prototype, but we now ha- unfortunately have 80,000 people who are interested in what the rest of this game looks like. Like, it feels like the sort of devil's bargain to like take in that moment. Not that you knew, right? Like I, feel like I would have taken it. I would have taken it at that time. We, nobody cared. <laughs> nobody. Cared. I mean, I had yeah. 600 followers before we started posting those yeah. gifts and yeah, like it was, nobody cared. It was very hard. And it, I, I mean, even now, I don't really feel like part of the games industry, even though I, I am, I must be at this point. But, you know, especially then, I was just like, we're just looking in, like, no, <laughs> no one knows who we are. No, no one, like, cares about what we're making. And you're kind of, 
and there's a there's a feeling I think uh, that I found I found the, the most difficult part was like you you know those 600 followers how many of them are other indie developers trying to sell you their game and <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. you're trying to sell them your game and like it, it was <laughs> it was like I want to scream like I want to scream so loud like it. It, but you, you you're just having to you know plug away and keep going and and just hope that one day something comes and it's you know I this game was definitely I think I think this was our like thing it was like if we if this doesn't come off then let's just go get jobs let's just go you know I'll probably yeah. go back and do a master's degree in architecture and Daniel probably would have been a programmer somewhere doing he probably would have carried on in the games industry but I I really don't think I would have I think my you know I was I was just really feeling like this, you know, nobody was going to take a chance on me as a, as a designer because I had nothing under my belt. And uh, so the, the most assured path would have been just to go back and get a degree and become an architect instead. So right, um, right, right. yeah, it was, so this was it, this was it for sure. Um, so we were very lucky. We we're very lucky. Um, I mean, for, for both of you, I think like, like why games maybe Gareth, I don't know if you want to answer that first. Like, I yeah. think that it's such, it is such like a risk in that way, in a way that I think that you can, I think you can hedge your bets on a lot of stuff. Like Gareth, if you started doing theater, like if you have a space and you have like a studio or like a theater that has like some billing and email list, you can ensure like some people might just show up or whatever, but like games is, it's like such a big endeavor to like sort of take that risk. Like why for both of you, like why, why, why take the risk in the first place? I think is, especially with people with non-traditional backgrounds, right? It's not like either of you went to school to study game development. Like what was sort of the thing that drove you to be like, I'm going to make a video game. Yeah. I think, um, it's funny cause it dates right perfectly back to like the GIF era of Sable, right? Because I, I was mm-hmm. finishing my PhD, um, in literature and one thing that became very clear to me while doing a PhD in experimental literature is it's very hard. I, I look, so I, I also did a degree in puppetry, right? I did my, my BA in puppetry. And at the end of that degree, I was looking around and I was like, I want to make this, I had these ideas for this, this work that I thought was really interesting to do in puppetry. And was kind of, I guess, like maybe a little bit radical. And I was looking around the scene around me and it was like the same 10 people. And I could see my future ahead of me. And I was like, I don't want to, like, I used to refer to them as the puppet mafia because it was like, I knew I had to like kiss the ring, you know, like that. I knew I would have to do that and that would be it. And so I was like, so I, I kind of had a shot at that, but I was like, no, I'm going to do something else. And I actually went through, I worked as a games tester for Sega during that period, which was another story and like the, mm. the worst job of all time. Um, <laughs> like really uh, big inspiration for citizen sleeper. Uh, that's how miserable game, <laughs> being a game sister is. Um, but yeah, so like I had that once, right. And then at the end of my PhD, I was looking at experimental literature and I was kind of getting towards producing my, my book. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna go to readings and I'm gonna like, work. and I just started seeing the same pattern. I was like, oh man, experimental literature is really small and it's really hard to convince people with, who read novels to read an experimental novel because people who read novels are like, I know what I like. I like this kind of novel. I don't need your experimental shit. And the thing that having been a games critic for a while, the thing that I was noticing in indie games was like, people really cared about experimental work. Like people genuinely for bad or for good, there was actually like money and there was a living. You could make a living in like, I'm doing a new thing or at the very least you could like put out some shit on itch and people would actually like play it and talk to you 
Um, and like me and you, Carl, obviously made like a little experimental jam game, right, together. That like I think if you look back in retrospect, has like a lot of signature elements of of In Other Waters. It's like a top down game with text. Like it, it's I think there's like so much. Um, so to me, like yeah, it's a risk, but. I, at the time, I was, like, working freelance a lot for other people, for big productions, right? Like, for this product, like, the design company I worked for, we, we did stuff for, like, the Met Ball, right? Like, we did stuff for, like, the big stuff. And I was looking at that big stuff. I was like, I don't care. I, this is not it's not doing anything for me. This is just high mm-hmm. profile for the agency. I am, I'm invisible. Um, I just, yeah, like, the whole thing is just not really, is not really flying. Um, so I was, I was like, this is my shot. I'm at the end of my PhD. I've got like a little bit of funding. That means I don't have to work all the time. I'm going to kickstart a, I'm going to, it was like my 30th birthday as well. I was like, I'm going to just like, <laughs> there's obviously having like a quarter life crisis or whatever, or, or third, third life crisis is that a thing. Midlife crisis. Who knows? We'll see, see what it turns out like. But, um, no, it was just this moment where I was like, I wanted, I'm going to take a shot. I've got to take a shot at something here. Because otherwise I'm going to go back to freelancing and I'm going to make other people's work for the rest of my life. Um, and so I smashed right. together prototype for Into the Waters and I took it to Greg um, as one of the first people that I showed it to and Daniel. And like, because I, I knew Greg from having done a Heterotopias like event with him um, around architecture. And, and yeah, and then like I literally just showed it to, to Greg and Daniel to be like, is this like a thing could this be a thing is this real like am i completely off base because i had no clue right like I, I didn't know a single indie developer i didn't know what game development looked like i didn't know i was just like i found playmaker and i was like oh god i can make things in unity okay you know mm-hmm. i'm gonna take a shot at doing it and i did it and and daniel and greg were like yeah this seems pretty cool and i was like right i'm gonna <laughs> like that's I also love that like your like confirmation bias is like the two people probably like worst suited to tell you if you're like, <laughs> yeah, that's, what I, that's what I was like. Yeah, we love this. It's great. That's what's so funny about hearing yeah. Greg being like, I'm not part of the games industry when I was literally like, you're the only person in the games industry. I know. Like, what does that make me? <laughs> but, yeah. Well, but you, you look more like part of the games industry than I did to me because you were writing about games. You were, sure, you know, yeah. You were actually paid by someone to play video games. Like, you know, I'm, no, it's funny. Yeah, I'd never even re- really gone to an event. And I mean, even now, we've never shown a video game at an event, uh, which is weird to say seven years in. But um, so, I, again, like, I guess not having those sorts of experiences where you're in that, you're, you know, you're facing like player, players are playing your game in front of you. We've never had that. Um, you know, obviously people doing it at home now, but uh, yeah, it's kind of weird. But yeah, it was fun. It was it was fun having you in the shed and bringing, bringing the game over. And uh, yeah, I, yeah mean, I remember it. Yeah, it was very cool. I, I think it's like, it was also cool to see Sable because I think that was just when the GIFs were kicking off, right? Like it was just post, post GIF, like probably pre-signing yeah. <laughs> when like everything was just happening at once. Um, but yeah, so like for me, like I typed myself, I also like typed myself to a Kickstarter, which like, if I hadn't got a publisher, mm. w- like would have been a terrible thing because like I would have then, I would have <laughs> been trying to make in other waters for for like thirty k right, and like that would have been something that I yeah. would have had to do part time. It would have taken me twice mm-hmm. as long minimum. Um, so I think that did scare me the most about in other like was that you did a Kickstarter and I, I we've we've never done anything like that and I 
I knew that like, okay, making a game like that on that budget is hard. It's very hard. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no. I mean, yeah, it's amazing that you, you managed to get it get it all i mean you've got a publisher so it was it worked out. yeah no i was exactly i feel so i again i feel also lucky like i feel like i fell on my fell on my feet you know like i i i took a shot <laughs> but like that shot itself was not necessarily like a great idea but like yeah i'd take it again right like i'd still take it again because of where it put me and but it's funny you know to hear you carl say like oh you know in theater you've got like this or this and it's like it's really like talk to anybody who works anywhere else in the arts, like what you can do in games and the fact that you can make money from it is, is like, I found it to be like genuinely a, a dream from that perspective. Like I know game developers like to talk down right, right, game right. development and like, I get it. It is rough, but it's like the, the space you have in game development to actually make money from making experimental design and like making really mm-hmm. like things that are, like in other waters is like a really weird game, right? It's not it's like the most yeah. non I don't know, it's like I never made it very particularly mainstream. And Season Sleeper also feels like Season Sleeper is probably a bit more like obviously appealing to people, but it's still kind of like a weird thing. And the fact that like it was at E3 and like I you know, it's just like so <laughs> it's like a it's like a weird dream to me and the fact that I you're like you're like they don't know like they don't know that I'm not yeah, a real yeah exactly I don't know tell them yeah. like, they, don't, they don't know I mean it's slipping it by I like yeah. I literally when when I was at Res um, within other waters when it was like in the left field collection like Greg Rice was like playing it and I didn't recognize him I don't know if I was just tired at the end of a long res right this is how out of the game industry I I am and I was like. I was chatting to him and I was like, oh, who are you with? And he literally like rotated and he was wearing like a double fine, like crew yeah. jacket. <laughs> I was just like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> like, what? I'm just like, I suddenly, then when he turned, it's like when he turned back around, it's like, I suddenly recognized him and I was like, oh my God. So yeah, like, <laughs> I, I think like, uh, yeah, you can get lucky, but like in, for me, games, it's like, there's so so much potential for, doing interesting things and like actually having a shot at like getting an income on them versus like theater or whatever, where it's like, yeah, I mean, you, you, unless you're one of five people, like you, you have no chance Mm -hmm. of, of doing experimental work and then not also, right. You can do it, but you're going to sacrifice a lot for it. Right. That's what I saw when I saw those scenes ahead of me, when I looked at those 10 people in a room, like reading experimental literature to each other. Like, I love that work. It'd be my dream to do that, to do the work. (laughs) Right. Like, that's why I did a PhD in it. I would love to to do experimental literature, but I can actually like now put experimental literature in a video game and sell it to a lot of people and they read it and they engage with it. And yeah, it's not exactly the same thing, but it, yeah, it's a very different space. So for me, games is like, it's quite exciting. Um, it is a big risk, but for me, like, I guess because I, I come from a fairly established position in other media, like it didn't feel if, as much like a risk because mm-hmm. it felt like the risk would be like, you know, sticking around to like do projection, video projections on like a palace in Dubai, right? Like that was the kind of thing that was going to grind me into the ground. And I would just be right, like, right, I'm right. not like, I can't do this anymore. I can't just like, make increasingly high profile and therefore increasingly dull work for other people for the rest of my life. Or like work that never gets done. Like, I feel like I'm Greg, like Greg, I'm wondering if you're sort of a similar thing where it sounds like 
from Gareth's perspective, it's some, something about games is that it's in some ways like a vehicle for a certain type of expression that can reach an audience. Like from an architecture background, did you see a similar thing where you were like looking at architecture studios and being like, well, I got to either go kiss someone's ring for 15 years until I like maybe become a partner or I can express the same ideas through something that can like make me money. Not, not that money has to be like yeah. part of it, but like, is that, was that like a similar calculus for you or like how did you sort of find well, I never, I never wanted to be an architect. Like, uh, I did the degree mm. even reluctantly. I, I did an art foundation year, which is just like one year where you do kind of art. You get to try out different arts, basically, fine art, mm. uh, you know, 3D design, et cetera. And they kind of said to me at the end of it, they kind of have a review and they said to me, we think you should study architecture. You have really good spatial understanding. And I was like, God damn it, because my dad's an architect. Uh, and so I purposely didn't think I should do it. Um, but I kind of, my understanding of architecture was very, at that time, very like to do with residential, to do with like actually practicing architecture. Where, whereas when I started to look at it on an academic level, it's much more interesting to me because it was much more about ideas. Mm-hmm. It was much more about philosophy, history, and art as well, like you could you could represent architecture in such interesting ways um, in an academic context. But I knew, I knew the first day that I started, started my degree, I knew that wasn't where it was going to end up if I became an architect. I knew the reality of these things wasn't what you get in a, doing a degree. But I also knew that it was a great degree because I could move into other forms of design from it, whereas I couldn't really move into architecture from, say, I did a, a I don't know, Say I did a game design course, I couldn't have moved from game design into architecture. So for me, it was just, okay, I'm going to take what I see as this quite like, uh, you know, broad umbrella design course and see where I land after it. And games were just something I cared about, I guess. And uh, something that I I was hoping like, okay, I've got this degree in architecture. Maybe people will think that's cool and, and interesting and I can bring something unique. And nobody gave a shit. Nobody gave a shit. <laughs> uh, literally nobody. Um, but uh, but I think what Gareth says, it kind of ties into that point, right? Like I knew the reality of what architecture is uh, mm-hmm. as an industry, um, unless you're like really at the top level. And I think even then, you're, you know, you're always working for a client. You're always doing, uh, you know, something that is quite... Um, and the, the amount of money involved is so enormous and the interests involved mm-hmm. is so, you know, politi- politicized and uh, that it it can be quite difficult. I mean, you, you can do smaller projects, I think, that are really interesting and it push, push the boundaries. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, 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 and I also you have to study another four years. I, I could just go straight into game development, whereas <laughs> I would have had to study another four years. Um, and you know the, the what architects get paid is 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 not good um, relative to the amount of work you have to do to get into it. So right, right, right. all of those factors they kind of fed in, and I yeah I think I did think I was bringing something. I th- I think I thought like oh yeah I can bring something interesting and unique to my game design, but I don't think that was what what played out in the I end. I feel like your next game should be like a forensic architecture game. Like that's just, you just do it dead on, just right on the head. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It, it's very easy to slip into like, that would be a cool game idea and then realize like, I'm not playing to any of my strengths. And that's kind of what, <laughs> Sable was the first game that was like, we look, we, 
we actually like this is a cool idea but also we can make this like we uh, right, you know right, before right, that right. i'd done like pixel art and i'd done like a voxel art and it will just i'm not that's not what i'm good at that's not what i can do whereas the sort of art that's in sable is actually in line a lot with like the rendering styles that i was using in architecture school um so and the things i liked as well i think it's much easier to just push push something when you like it right yeah, yeah, when yeah. You, yeah you're like or when you think you're contributing to a thing that you like um but yeah, I mean, but but I think generally speaking, in terms of like as a space, you can make some interesting experimental architecture that has like ideas in a video game much, much easier, much in a much, much quicker, much easier than you can in real life. And uh, although, and it, it won't collapse and kill someone, but it might, uh, it might perform badly on them. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like, do you seek out, I mean, either you, do you like seek out games that are sort of like adjacently interested in the same themes? Like, do you play architecture centric games and Gareth, do you play games that have like a similar expression of like experimental poetry or literature? Or do you feel like, cause um, for me, like I, I do play a lot of strategy games, but I'm also like like so much of that interest itself is sated by the work I do on cantata that it's hard to feel the same drive. And I play something adjacent cause it's like, Oh, I'll just like, I just want to make this thing. Like that's the, the, the need or so to speak is like fulfilled somewhat through the act of creation itself, less about the consumption of that thing. Or like, I feel like in that moment of consumption, I'm like, well, I'd rather do how I'm doing it here. So why don't I just keep doing that or something? Like, how do you, how do you both sort of relate to that, like that sort of central element? If I can be so like reductive to say that Greg likes architecture and Gareth likes experimental literature. Like, do you feel like you seek out stuff specifically in game spaces that states that, or like is your own creation enough? Or do you just like look back to the source and you're like, you know, reading new like architecture theory books or whatever. Like how does that sort of fit with the practice of creation? So I, I think that I'm like, uh, I have the game critics curse, which means that I want to play everything. Like I, I spent so many years sure. like getting code <laughs> for things and like being able to kind of play like five minutes of something. So I just buy, I buy far too many mm -hmm. games and play very small amounts of all of them. Um, and yeah. that doesn't yeah, save yeah, me yeah. in any way or satisfy me in any way. <laughs> it just winds <laughs> me up. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. I also have my proud big, but, but I think I'm also... Like one of my favorite, this is a kind of esoteric, but like one of my favorite quotes is this like Francis Bacon quote where he described himself as a pulverizing machine. And I, and he's like, he just like <laughs> things go in and he pulverizes them and then they like come back out and that's his paintings. And that's genuinely like how I think of myself. So I quite like, I surround myself with things that have need to be pulverized to put into my game. So like mm -hmm. my studio for Citizen Sleeper has like, I printed out a ton of, like I have like, Pinterest boards that like go up to a thousand pins and I print out postcards and I stick them on my wall <laughs> and I have like piles of books that I, I don't even like, they're just there as like totem objects. Like, yeah, I know exactly. Just around. Yeah. To be surrounded by the ideas of the thing. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. so I absorb that stuff and that's, I find that super, that's actually like the part of me that working on my own projects has really like allowed me to unleash and just be like really 
outrageous with that. I think like I've previously talked about like this one little model radio that was like a big inspiration. It's like a Japanese 1960s radio that like the industrial designer was like a mm-hmm. big influence on the dials in other words. And I like ordered a, a little like replica from Japan and I like had it on my desk and I would just play <laughs> with it like all the time. Um, so I don't know, it's not exactly answering your question, but I mean like, yeah, I, I'm quite like... I, I like to immerse myself in tons of stuff. So yeah, I will like, or at least for five minutes. Yeah. I, w- I will play like a ton of stuff that is similar to my, to my game. Right. But in like very much a research process, I think like, mm-hmm. you know, the only, I, I find it hard to be satisfied by other games, but I get really excited when I play something and it makes me want to make a game like it. Like when I played Hades, mm-hmm. I immediately like drafted out, like what run based game would I make? Because I found that to be like such an mm-hmm. exciting solution to narrative design problems in run-based games and so i was like that's hmm. super and so i really love that stuff like mundown when i played mundown i was just like oh i want to make a mundown immediately so that's like my response <laughs> to liking things is often just like wanting to make yeah, them I yeah, make yeah, it, yeah yeah so but, yeah, but that's yeah. like the best feeling genuinely because like that carries for years like i don't know if i'll ever make it but like i love inside so much and i like studied that game extensively like in heterotopias and like, I really want to make an inside, right? I don't know if I'll ever do it, but I want to make something. And I know by the time I get round to it, that thing will have been pulverized inside me so much that when it comes back out, like, it doesn't look like inside to anybody else but me. Um, so, so I don't right. really worry too much about that. Like, the idea of, like, oh, it's just my version of this. Because I think, like, yeah, maybe, and maybe that's part of a solo process. Like, you can kind of trust that, like, you will be the the medium that this thing will pass through. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, Mm -hmm. like all kinds of stuff. But on the, on the subject of like, especially like writing and literature in games, I'm a very, um, bad reader in games. And so funnily enough, like I find it very hard to play. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, I'm a very fast reader. It's like, I never let people finish. In fact, I was recently playing black book, which I'm really enjoying, but like the voice acting is too slow. So I turned the voice acting to Russian so that I can skip it. Because I don't understand it, so it just sounds more like, you know, just kind of general ambient tone. It's like Animal Crossing voices, but a real language. <laughs> I think this, I think that I sent when I sent you the first build for Sable to play, and we didn't have all the writing in at the time, but I'm pretty sure you just went, yeah, I'm not engaging with yeah. any of the quests. I'm just going to, like, go and drive up. And I was like, cool, like, that's, that's a play style. Um <laughs> Not the one I needed to test, but yeah, like, okay, like, I guess I'll get some information from it. And then I gave it to another developer and they did exactly the same thing. And I was like, for fuck's yeah, sake. Yeah, like, developers uh, can't be trusted with that shit. Yeah, I think I remember I like know. just taking a battery out into the desert to see how far I could carry the battery away from the puzzle it was supposed <laughs> to be used in. And I was having so much fun, but I don't think it was very useful. For me. Yeah, it was all good. It was all good. <laughs> but um, but no, it didn't make me laugh. And it, it just it just came to my mind when you said you're not a good reader in games. And I mean, in some ways I'm similar, you know, there are some games where I will lose patience and I'm just like, whatever. Um, but uh, I think also I'm similar in the process side. Like I think the surrounding myself with stuff, um, you know, the Pinterest boards, like the really big Pinterest boards, like that's a big part of the process at the beginning of Sable, which just, I have like a thousand, 2000 pin Pinterest board called, I think I just called it sand and it was just full of like aesthetic visual concept references, architecture references. And then I had to like break that out into other ones eventually because it became so cumbersome. But, um, 
and books. I mean, always picking up design books, reference books, and I don't even necessarily read, like I'm not reading the words that are in there. I'm just like, okay, where's the, like, where's the bit that's useful to me right now? Mm -hmm. And I'll go find mm -hmm. that. And, you know, to, but I don't have the time to like read, actually read, sit down and be like, and like cover to cover this book. But, um, but I think in terms of like looking, so I don't see Sable as an architecture game. It's just a game that has architecture and we use it as a tool to, you know, as much as like uh, it's a, a writing game, you know, because it has writing, you know, mm -hmm. it's a reading game, you know, it's it's just a, a method of storytelling and that's an important thing that we do in the game. But um, so I wouldn't say like, so I think a lot of games that like explicitly look at architecture, they look at, or like urbanism even, it'd be like city skyline or something like that. Like I can mm -hmm. get derived joy from them, but I'm not like analyzing them whilst I'm playing them. I think the ones I do sit down and analyze are the ones that will try and tell story through architecture. So something like a, a Dishonored or a Deathloop or a Bioshock, or, you know, a lot of uh, those types of games, I guess. But also like my favorite type of game is is like a Shadow of the Colossus or, you know, Persona, I think is what like one of my all timers. And like, I think that's a game that actually tells you a lot of story just by the place that you're in. And it's not like representing some like revolutionary modern idea of what architecture could be is representing what architecture is a facsimile of what architecture is in a place but it creates such a strong sense of place that it transports you to mm -hmm. that place and um, I've, it's kind of related to a piece i wrote for heterotopias which was about like virtual nostalgia like visiting a place that you've kind of you've been already or playing so like i remember the first time i played assassin's creed 2 um and then or was it brotherhood i can't remember there's one where you're in venice and then like i had been to venice and then i went to venice again and the thing about venice okay you're playing in like uh is it 15th century i can't really remember it's like yeah, yeah. 15th century 14th, venice, 14th, I, think, yeah. yeah 14 and um but the thing about venice is a lot of that stuff is still there right like it's it's a mm -hmm. very well retained city and so like you really feel like this sense of like oh, i've been here before like i've, I've seen this thing before or, and uh, Persona had that as well, where you're like, I lived here before. You know, you didn't really, you, you know, you, <laughs> but you're like, oh, I kind of, I, I was here at some point. And um, so that's the sort of stuff I really gravitate towards. Uh, but, you know, I'm always looking at like, like Metro Dread. We've both been talking about that constantly, you know, and how they, you know, and, and critiquing it and, 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 you know, observing it, you know, how, how spatial design is used in that game. Um, so it's something that I think, I mean, both Gareth and I have an interest in architecture in games, um, but that's how I look at it. But then, you know, I also have an interest in experimental literature in games too, you know, like that sort of storytelling mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And so you always just keep an eye out, seeing what you can learn, seeing what you can, and seeing what works and doesn't work. Because I think that's just like, you need to retain some feeling of like, how does this work on a like emotional level? Like, okay, I see what they're doing, but is it affecting me and how is it affecting me? Because I think, you know, video games are good at telling certain kinds of stories. So they're good at like competitive emotions. They're really good. Like no other medium I don't think is better than at expressing competitive emotions or getting out of someone competitive emotions. They're quite good at like ex feelings of exploration or, or giving people a sense of like belonging to a place in a way that I think film, you know, isn't, is 
can be good at, but I think video games actually can be really directly good at like giving the player control over how long they spend time in a place or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're quite, they're not as good as say film at, at evoking other emotions or, or books or literature at evoking other emotions. And I think part of playing games is like working out like, oh wow, this evoked like an emotion that I haven't, or it, it, it did things to create these emotions in me that um, I haven't necessarily felt before. Like, how did it do that? And you're trying to break that mm-hmm. down and work out the mechanics of like, how was, you know, they're like magic tricks. Like video games always get compared to magic tricks and they they are because, uh, you know, and once you work out the magic trick, it becomes so much less effective. And, but, you know, you learn, you learn so much by deconstructing those elements and trying to, you know, see where it can apply in your work or, you know, if it doesn't apply, how you avoid mistakes, and you know, so playing a bad game is is almost as useful as playing instructive. A yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I like, think that because the line is so thin, yeah. right? Like that, the working and not working can be such like a thin thing. I think Gareth, like, I think you saying like the playing five minutes or something is something like I relate to so strongly. Where like I've been playing video games for fucking thirty years. I mean, I'm not. I mean, technically, I what. 27 I didn't play when I was born literally but like I've played so many video games across time and space that like if you've done that like you can play a game for five ten minutes and be like all right I know where this is going you know past the intro cutscene or whatever like you can know what it smells like unless it's like I don't know inscription just came out so like more trick games or whatever I think is maybe slightly different but like you know what people are doing and you can kind of know what people are learning with so like playing something and seeing like, why doesn't this work? Like I had an interest recently in auto chess. And so I'm like playing all the auto chess games and I'm like, why did underlords fail? Like why, why are people, why is no one playing underlords and everyone's playing team fight tactics or whatever. And like, you can play those things. And like, even as someone who doesn't really know the genre, you can play it for, you know, a match, which granted is like an hour in those games and be like, Oh, it's because, well, in retrospect, it's easy to say, but like you can, you can do comparative analysis when you kind of know the baseline, like, um, like Ralph Koster in his book, A Theory of Fun, which is actually like the one game book I recommend like any game designer read, talks about this concept of like game topologies, which is basically like you take a game and sort of strip away all art, strip away like literally everything that that's besides like, you know, like invisible, you know, capital G, capital O game objects moving around in space. And like you'll have a sense of what kind of game that is. And I think that it's very easy for people who aren't designers to not know how to kind of do that. And if you're someone who has peeked behind the curtain, you can very quickly say like, oh, these two things are very similar despite looking very different because they share all this lineage. And therefore in knowing that this maps to this maps to this, I can now know where like this thing stands in relationship to those and find that experience being meaningful. Kind of again, like Gareth said, being a, you didn't say trash compactor because that didn't exist when Bacon was around. But like, you know, like just pulverizing and be like, okay, I know how to understand this. I know like what this thing is doing. I did want to, Greg, something you brought up, maybe one of, one of the questions came from the Discord um, that's sort of related, which they asked, um, how much do either, either of you, uh, how much do you consider second the secondary media ecosystem, like streaming and Let's Plays, when you're designing a game? And I think specifically this idea of audience, like both of you sort of talked from a perspective of internalizing your own specific like desires, wants, needs from the thing that you're creating, but are you sort of thinking about the reflection of that, like when it's being received? I know we kind of touched on this a little bit with like the Breath of the Wild comparison stuff, but 
I don't know, like Greg specifically, like when you're making it, you sort of, I'm sure you're sort of aware of some of the burden that of expectation that's coming from Sable, but are you designing thinking of that audience? Or are you still just like, I'm doing my Greg thing? Like, what is that like um, for you? It's a mix. I think, you know, you, you have to respect that so many different people are going to play this game coming from so many different cultural, you know, just so many different backgrounds, not just, cult, you know, like might be coming from a different, like, yeah, just any sort of background basically. Um, and so you have to kind of respect that and try and be cognizant of that, but you also have to be kind of confident and steadfast in what your vision is. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but where I think I, the thing that came to mind, so like thinking about Twitch and thinking about just the broader conversations, I don't think about them specifically as like, um, mediums that like, oh, Sable will look really good on Twitch or whatever. It's more mm-hmm. what interests me a lot more and what I try to really think about uh, when we're showing the game is the conversation around Sable. So um, a lot of what we showed, we were really, really careful about how we showed it from really early on. I mean, literally from the first showing, I think I was even the social media posts, like really trying to be disciplined about it and try and be like, okay, we're not going to show, we're only going to show stuff like once a month at the most new, new stuff. Um, and then eventually as the game developed, it was like, okay, I'm only going to show stuff that's been in the game already a whole year, anything. Mm-hmm. And then there were just areas of the game, which were just off limits. And I was like, no, we're not showing any of that. And it got to a point where the, the trailer, trailer guys at the end, towards the end of development, they were like, can we show this area? I was like, no. And they were like, please, no one will care. Just let us show it for the trailer. And I I had to let go of some of that stuff, but I was really, so because what I wanted was when people played the game, one to have that fresh experience. And I I hate it when trailers like spoil films and and stuff that you can see And our game was about discovery. But also I really wanted people to discover stuff that they didn't expect in the game and then have conversations between each other about that. Be like, did you see, did you see this thing? And mm-hmm. then being like, no, what, what are you talking about? Like, where's that? Like, how do I find that? And and that was the conversation I really wanted because I think, and it was that kind of like uh, playground conversation that we had when we were, you know, 10 or whatever. Um, and it was kind of pre-internet. You couldn't just see everything or Google everything. You just had to like, rely on rumors and I wanted there to be some like weird things that people would like talk about and be like what are you talking about but um you know like if someone was like missing though in Pokemon is the classic one right mm-hmm. like it's like okay mm-hmm. there's this glitch in Pokemon and you can like replicate and it was just like it's such a weird thing to do and but it was just like a playground rumor and someone would have to show you how to do it and like it became this social activity and this experience in itself and I think that was like, I don't know if we succeeded at that, but that was like something that I wanted. And I think a game that did it recent, well, recently, 10 years ago, was uh, Fez, right? Like when all the secrets. Mm-hmm. And I knew we were never going to to do that extent of, of things because uh, we just didn't, we, we had to make, you can't make two, he basically made two games, right? Like he made the, yeah. the main game and the second game. And it was like, we don't have the resources <laughs> or time to do that with this sort of game. But I would have if I could have. I really would have if I could have. And uh, yeah, and, and there was like, there's a big thing in the game that I really was like, I'm not telling anyone it's here. Didn't tell any reviewers it was there. I told some people that, you know, I knew, but uh, just to get it to be tested. But I was like, this really isn't something I want to show. 
ever in any marketing thing that we do. And it wasn't, it, it slipped into a trailer at some point and I was like, absolutely not cut that out. Like do not show that at all. <laughs> and, uh, and then the other day, Gareth sent me a like clip from a podcast where they were talking about it. And it was like, yes, like, yes. For that three seconds on that podcast where someone said, when you get to that bit, call me, call me, let me know. I'm going to talk you through it. And it was just like, yes, like that's like four years worth of thinking led to that moment. And it was, yeah, like that was a lot of the thought. So that's generally where that sort of thinking for me on Sable specifically came came from um but i don't really think too much about like how is it going to sit on twitch or how is it going to sit on youtube mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. because those things are so shifting anyway like and i don't have that deep analysis and uh, like deep understanding of those platforms uh, so i don't yeah it, it, you know it could be totally mm-hmm. new platform in three years time you know tiktok's like you know mm-hmm. you're seeing some games on there now and it's just yeah you if you're reacting to that you're just going to be constantly making decisions based on external factors that are, you know, you're not going to end up with something that has a lot of integrity, especially if you don't know what you're doing. Um, yeah. I think you say that, but I think there's one thing, the funny thing with um, Citizen Sleeper is like part of the thought process behind it was like, can I make a streamable game in a weird way? But like in a way that I think was really productive for the design actually. And like, it didn't, it wasn't really about like, as you say, like I totally agree. And I think games is like, the worst for this as well because it's like right now you see all the people like setting up nft games or whatever right and it's like what is by the time they finish mm-hmm. those damn games like what is nf what are nfts yeah, even gonna not. be or like yeah it's just yeah. like crazy to do that but the yeah Pro- probably just to clarify just for like when i say without integrity i mean more like if you're constantly shifting yeah, yeah. between no, no. like okay this should be you know obviously if you're just like okay we're gonna make a streaming game like it's gonna work really well for this great like it's gonna you know yeah, you've yeah, designed yeah. it you understand it you know just so nobody like gets <laughs> fucked off with Twitter <laughs> about that but uh yeah yeah sorry no no um but yeah the, there's yeah because the thing with i noticed within other waters when people streamed it and were playing it um and it, it says in sleeper parts parts of it were designed like before another waters came out and parts of it were designed after um but I noticed that like, oh yeah, this game doesn't work so well on streams, right? Because it's just like a lot of reading out. But then some people kind of made it work. And I started to kind of just be curious, like, oh, what does a narrative game that streams well look like? And so I started kind of watching like other people's streams. I was just kind of playing about. And I, I like games like Cultist Simulator, I noticed like streamed a lot better because they have this like randomized mm-hmm. like structure and they have like these elements. And I wanted anyway to make a game like that was way less linear because I like in other words is i mean in my head it's not as linear as i think other people see it it's it's like it's a balance right there's like that path through it but like actually at any point you can go off and you can like study the different creatures mm-hmm. and to me like those bits are just as important as the main plot the like through line and so in my head it was quite like a non-linear game but i could see when people played it they were like oh this is obviously the story and this is obviously the side content um which right. makes total sense but I was like, oh, I want to make a game where things like things can happen, right? Like things feel like they can they can happen. You can have that quality of like, oh, something just happened. And I think that's what streaming really like relies on. Because it's all about people picking up content and making something funny or cool out of something that happens in the game, right? And it's like that's what I streamers are incredibly good. Like experienced streamers are incredibly good at like seeing there's a where those gap like where those 
where the game has a bit of play. Like it has something you can push on. Like if you can pick up a, you know, mm -hmm. if you can like pick up bottles, then streamers will do things and be like, oh, I'm going to pick up all the bottles in this game and I'm going to take them all back to the same <laughs> shelf and I'm going to line them up on that shelf. And that's like, it's it makes really good content, right? And it's it's not so dissimilar to some of the stuff I do in Heterotopias as well, where it's like, what what can I find in this game that's interesting um, to like pick at and get somewhere with? So with Citizen Sleeper, some of the design was was very much like, I w like with the dice system of like you get new dice every day um, to like and then allow people to choose what they do with that dice. It's like I could imagine a streamer like I, I realized the other day I was thinking about solo RPGs and you could totally play Citizen Sleeper as like a journaling game. Right. You could you, at the end mm -hmm. of each day mm -hmm. in Citizen Sleeper, you could write down what you did in that day and you could narrativize all the events because the events are very much like, OK, I've got a six. I'm going to assign that to this job that I really want to go well. Um, but now I've only got like a one left and I'm going to like, I'm going to use it on this, like working at this bar, this shitty bar over here. And they're like, oh, that went badly. Right. And so like there's, it's very simple interactions, but it creates like a narrative and a lot of kind of, not a lot, but like a bit of play for people to kind of pick up on. So I'm super, I'm actually going to be watching like really carefully when it comes out to see like, does anybody pick that up? Does that like, how does mm -hmm. it stream versus in the waters? Cause now with under the waters being out for so long, I've been able to see like a lot of let's plays, um, a lot of streams. There's like this great Japanese VTuber who's doing this series where they have like a little animated AI and they like, obviously the AI <laughs> never speaks in the game and they like voice the AI talking and then like Ellery talking and the AI talking. And it's, I wish I could speak oh Japanese because it seems like so funny and clever and they have this cool like sequence at the end of the, each episode where the, the, the person doing it like draws the creatures as they think they should look and then compares them with my drawings of the creatures <laughs> that are in the game. And it's just like the whole thing is super cool. Um, I feel like almost honored that somebody bothered to like do this whole thing, um, which obviously took like everything's beautifully done. Like they've made like they've matched the UI and all of the visuals and stuff and all the colors. And so, yeah, I do. I do find myself being interested in that, I guess, but not necessarily as like, oh, because it will sell more copies of the game but because it's something mm -hmm. visible that i can see and it's something where i can see like oh this will make the game actually like better for all players because players will like there's more I, like i'm trying to make a little more space for them in the game right like more more space to hang out i i think that's just my tendency i i like games where you can just kind of hang out in them as well like if you want um the game I always talk about and play far too much is Destiny. And like at the end of every Destiny session, I literally just like sit in the tower and like go through my inventory and then also just like look at the city. And I I will like, I can waste like, I don't know, like half an hour there. Just like, just also just like processing all the things that happened. Like if, you know, if there's like stuff that's happened in the story, right? Just like, um, and I love that in games. I think this is like one of the coolest things about games. Like we, like you were comparing them to cinnamon before Greg is like, that's something you can't actually do. Right. Like I love, I went to see Hellboy two in the cinema twice because of the like troll market scene, because like that troll market is just like the most incredible pile of like practical special effects and creature designs. And this is why the best part of the whole new star yeah. Wars franchise uh, is the casino. Yeah, exactly. Scene. It's like all that. Yeah. That's like amazing. You're like, Oh, this is a real it feels like there's this um, uh, Mark Rosewater, who is the designer of magic. He did this like GDC talk that I'm sure you two have seen recommended yeah, a million probably. times on YouTube. 
if you watch any YouTube videos and one of his, one of his, like, it's like 20 years, 20 lessons learned. And one of the lessons he talks about is that specifically that like players fall in love with details. So it's like, I think that that's like, that's not, I wouldn't even say it's necessarily the sign of like a really good design, but it is a sign of someone who considers the space of their game. Like I think having these, like I actually like the thing you were talking about Gareth, where you were carrying the battery and stable like out into the desert. Like that's a, that's a moment to sort of fall in love with in a way that a game that doesn't allow for sort of emergent physics interactions or whatever is like, would have that thing. So you like, you basically open up these little places for people to sort of like pour their self into. Like I remember for Cantata. So right before Gamescom, I was like, we have to add in the ability to change the names of your units. Like it seems so stupid. It does not like it is. It was like so down on the bottom of the priority list, but I was like, we need that because that is something where people can like pour themselves into and like, Fucking sure enough, like we go to Twitch, people realize that the first thing they do is they're like, all right, who's in chat? Blah, 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 blah. Name everybody in chat. It creates a narrative. Like it's, it's especially for something that's as rigid as a strategy game. Like any of those details that you can add to something like are those things that people will pick up on. And I think like, you know, people will find these things and find ways to fall in love like with these games and like, oh, there's like all these like this stuff. And I think it, like I said, it's really not an indicator of like a good game, but I think it's very much an indicator of someone like you two kind of being aware of the fact that people are playing the game and they want to like have an emotional attachment or relationship to it. And so giving them those things and then like, I don't know, more is more, but also more could be better because it produces different opportunities for people to sort of engage with this thing that could be also totally perpendicular to the actual like goal of the game, right? Like sitting in a tower in destiny, destiny being like, you know, the biggest content mill there ever was is almost like an anti-pattern. It is not something that is even on the course of what you should be doing, but in like doing it, you're still, you're building a relationship with that thing and you're choosing to sort of play it, so to speak, how you like and having those affordances, I think are like super, super key. I think we were talking about this the other day because I found, um, uh, or maybe Greg, Fett, I don't. Uh, maybe I just saw it through Greg's Twitter, but like a guy playing buckets in um, Sable. It's like a, oh, yeah. a little game <laughs> that somebody invented to like throw buckets, and then how they landed. You got different points. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we were literally they, talking about this the other day. Yeah, they they'd like done a whole narrative series with the bucket as well, taking the bucket to a building that looked oh like a bucket, God. and it had like subtitles. It was like. Is that my dad? The bucket was saying as <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> this is cool. Like, no, I mean, I think, I think the, uh, the other thing I was going to say is you, you actually watch people streaming your game. Gareth. I, I can't do it. I can't. Like, I, <laughs> you will eventually. It hurts too much. Th that uh, that is because that I'm, is, yeah, I couldn't for six months. I, yeah. could, I couldn't for six months. Yeah. I really couldn't. I, I bookmarked so many Let's Plays and streams, but they were so painful. I could only watch. Now, nowadays, I, I went back and watched them. But like, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Yeah. No, my girlfriend does. She finds a, she's never watched. She anyone on Twitch before, but uh, for Sable, she's been watching some and being like, yeah, here's some notes from where they were having problems. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. It's but it's useful. It's useful. <laughs> I can use it. But um, I can't watch that stuff. I find it, especially, I think we know there are problems with, you know, bugs and whatever, and we're working to fix them. And some of them are fixed and they're just like, we need to, like merge this branch and test it and like get it and then you're like 
oh, that's fixed, but it won't even be in the next patch. It'll be in the one after because, oh, yeah, that's game. Or like the fixation of people on like bugs that are like actually trivial yeah. to fix, but they're like for some reason they like. And you're like, that's not. It doesn't yeah. matter. Like, just stop looking at that. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing as well. When you're making your own game, you'll like circumnavigate the bugs. You'll be like, oh, that's yeah. an ugly bug. Like, I'll, I'll walk, if I walk slightly to the left of this rock, it won't cause that weird animation. But <laughs> every just, single other person just learned, walks straight yeah. over that. Yeah. And you forget it's there. You forget. And you're, or you, you're like, and then you see the first person to play it do it. And you're like, I knew that was there. I, got, I, I forgot s- to fix that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a, or I want to, I want to start wrapping us down, but I have a few more questions just to like sort of um, related to this. Someone asks, um, where is it at? Uh, what's the most, uh, what the fuck? I guess that worked bug or story that you have. That's maybe still inside the game. Try to think that you can talk uh, about. <laughs> <laughs> really or like a moment where you're making something where you're like oh i guess that does it yeah well. i mean mo- i feel like most of that stuff happens on the technical side and like uh oh we just need to tick this box and like it does the thing like okay that <laughs> like or like oh performance is way better suddenly because i ticked this one checkbox here um i mean there's an amazing bug today that i posted on twitter where um some reason i don't know what it is i don't think it was anything anyone did it was just i was merging in another branch into my branch and for some reason every single npc in the game now was holding a fish in their right hand (laughs) (laughs) every single npc apart from table and (laughs) i was like (laughs) it's because you have the is holding fish box (laughs) right yeah Well, apparently, and and there was also an amazing one where uh, related where the default and idle animation for NPCs was for some reason just replaced with an animation of them pointing to the fish they were holding. (laughs) So every single NPC that was idling was just pointing to the fish that they were now holding. But then you you also had just like, I was just running through cutscenes to see what would happen. And so there's like a town square meeting in one of the cutscenes. And just everyone's holding a fish up at the town square meeting. Uh, or like there's an idle animation of a, like there's a clothes shop seller and she's like uh, doing something to the clothes. It just looks like she's rubbing the fish across the item of clothing on a table. Uh, yeah, there are some amazing, amazing animations in that. So that was a fun one. That was, I think, the best bug I've ever seen. Uh, it was yeah we were laughing so hard but um, that's a cyberpunk 2077 bug like in that game yeah. when it first yeah. came out all the props got shuffled and like i found loads of guys like smoking guns or like eating like guns one, and there was one that i saw where like the like pathing of traffic is not off of like an individual agent model it's like a it's just like a line and the path had somehow adjusted itself so it was going into this concrete barrier so cars yeah, would go yeah. through it and they would explode in the barrier and then keep going. It's just like, poof, poof, poof. you do get some amazing <laughs> like, ones like that. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. funny when you see that stuff as well. This is like, this dev. is my struggle with like cantatas that I don't get any good bugs. It's just like, Oh, there's a bug in the fucking map doesn't render and everything's broken. I don't have like physics. I don't know, Gareth, you're, you're kind of between. I don't know. Is yeah, there any, no. like, great, like... My game's the same. It's like, yes, bugs are just broken. Just it's like, like, oh, yeah, the map disappeared. Guess I got to fix that yeah. again. In other words, it's also, like, 
Yeah, and even but even Citizen Sleeper, like Citizen Sleeper is so like there's no little guy, right? Like it's funny, I, I really didn't think I would be mm-hmm. the person who doesn't make those games funnily enough, but I am for some reason I'm <laughs> less and less interested in making a game about a little guy that you control with a stick. Um and it's yeah. like weird because I love those games. Like I love Inside, I love like, you know. I, and but yeah, like unfortunately when you make those kind of games, you don't get really particularly interesting bugs. Um, you just get bugs yeah. where you're like, oh, I misspelled this word or, oh, I forgot to trigger this variable in the correct or like way. the dice appeared in this slot, but it's actually being registered over in that slot. And no, like, the, oh, the, the best, the best bug I had that I'm sure both of you have maybe encountered. Cause do you, you both use, well, I guess Greg, you guys use unity, right? Yeah. So did you have the thing where, um, when you click a button, the event system inside of unity selects that button. And then, so what I would do is I would click buttons and then I'd like press the space bar to end the turn. But because the button was selected from the event system perspective, I kept double clicking buttons ending my turn. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like it was impossible to find because Unity's event system is like kind of really, it's like impossible to basically debug. And I was like, why is all this stuff happening? I was like, oh, it's because like everything I click is like selected and then like right yeah. yeah yeah so you're pressing all the buttons at once or you're pressing that one button yeah yeah, just, yeah yeah i mean no i had like a total disaster version of like those tiny contingencies in in other waters that like when we added localization oh, yeah. for japan there was like a bit in the game where the game almost crashes and I, I didn't realize it but like basically one of the state machines in the game got stuck in a loop and it always mm. got out of that loop but by adding like the localization system, it just affected performance just enough so that the game no longer got out of that loop. <laughs> and so I had no idea because like I hadn't changed anything in that system. And so I didn't know to look in there. Right. And so I spent forever like trying to figure out why this thing was crashing um, until I figured out and I looked at it and it's like it was something that I'd built also like probably in the first six months of development or whatever. And so when I looked at it, I was just like, I don't know, like somebody else made this. It's like your pancreas you know? like, yeah, like, base. I don't yeah. know what any of these things do. I'm just going to turn them on and off. Like, and that's how I found it in the end. I just like sequentially turned things on and off. And then eventually I looked at the logic and I was like, yeah, why did this ever work? Like this, obviously this, that, like, yes. this, this never, this game, like this part of the game never should have worked. It, I don't, I still don't understand now, like why, it could it worked in the release version of the game, but it did. So it's so annoying. But yeah, yeah. So that's the kind of bug I that, that's that a I great answer. With. Yeah. Uh, another question I want to ask is, um, what do you put in your save files? <laughs> what's like? What's the data that's actually in your save file? I mean, I can't even really answer that because that's more Daniel's side of it. But um, I mean, we yeah, we're mostly so we're storing storing a lot of like. We use like uh, scriptable objects to store like mm-hmm. lots of balls and ints and, you know, like lots of just those sorts of files in the Unity file system. And so as a designer, that's what I use to like make an object work or not work or and track that across across saves. And then otherwise we have all our ink stuff going on. So tracking the Oh, Are you guys using ink? I don't know if it is that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so we're tracking that. Um, and then, I don't know, settings. I guess, I'm sure there's some other stuff, but I'm, like I said, it's kind of, oh, you know, I keep I get to see a bit of the ink stuff and a bit of the, the ball values and the whatever makes some of those. But 
what are the bull values? Like, what do you, is it, is it like has discovered ruins equals true or is it like, is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's more like has open this for this door. Like, is it now yeah. open? Like, or the, the power in the town, for example, there's a quest where you have to turn the power on. And so we just use a bull value to track that across because it's, it's two separate scenes. Um, and so there's no mm-hmm. way of like mm-hmm. communicating between them. So you have to communicate to the, you know, something in the project and then, and then read from that. Um, so, and then, and also when you're debugging, then it just means you have a debug button, which is just like set that to true or false and you can run right, through right, time. Right. Yeah. You'd have to do the quest every time. Uh, so that's it really like nothing. <laughs> I just think that there's just like, there's like a, I don't know, it's sort of a heterotopias adjacent esque thought about like save files as the specifically like weird sort of like indicative model of truth. Like it's basically like the truth of what stable is in some ways is represented by the contents of a save file. I don't know, Gareth, yeah. what do you, what's like the citizen sleeper? Well, citizen sleeper is just a save file. Like as a, as a, like the save file, mm. like citizen sleeper could be a spreadsheet. Like it, because it's so at its core, yeah. it is literally it's just like, so like assigning numbers to, um, two things and then those things like roll another random number and then they like output something so the safe file in citizen sleeper is actually super structured around like the progression clocks right and then like but it's also a little bit wild west i'm 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 a little bit wild west with my save files in the sense that there'll be some things where i'm just like <laughs> oh i just i'm just gonna add a f- everything is floats i'm terrible Every, it's just like a ton of floats so it's just like True, true false, true false is just one and zero in a float. It's like absolutely outrageous behavior. But listeners, this is not the right way to do save files. <laughs> this, is, this is me. Yeah, I just because it's just faster to do it because I've got that all set up. So sometimes I'll just be like, yeah, I just yeah, need yeah, this yeah. stupid trigger. Um, so I'm just like, yeah, just name, just, just name it, it and like there. stick a. Yeah, this is this is because I taught myself game development. But in other waters was also a little bit like this. But the fun thing about in other waters is the save file is a completely editable text document. But we rename it to we nice. rename yeah. it to a dot dot data uh, fake yeah. <laughs> extension so that everyone looks at it and is like, oh, I did, that's not a recognizable yeah. oh, file. I can't, I can't I, open that. That's some programmer shit. Can't do that. So yeah, yeah, if you if you na- rename the save file in other words to dot text, then you can just edit the save file yourself and give yourself all the upgrades or whatever. <laughs> Oh. Perfect. That is game development right there. Yeah. That is, yeah. We, data. Yeah, it's encrypted. Actually, it, you did. Re- yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's what that means. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but you reminded me actually of, um, again, this is Daniel's stuff, so like I can't speak too much to it, but he had actually made a system with within Inky, Inc- so the software that you write Ink in, mm-hmm. where we could play test a lot of the text in the game in Inky. So you could just play out scenarios and you can, there's a like text adventure mm-hmm. version of Sable where you can, <laughs> you know, you like go to this place and then you're at that oh, place wow. and you like talk to this person, hit this switch and like- And it's like using then, the same data underlying or something. Yeah, no, it's exactly the same data. And, uh, you know, we're just, uh, uh, it wasn't, you have to set, set up the files. So a lot of the like, writing that came later was just like get it in get it working in the game doesn't matter if it works with this debug system but it was for for being able to debug stuff earlier on it was it was yeah like it's a cool idea i think it's just you have to put in the effort to like actually make sure it gets set up and works with that system as well but yeah i remember that and that was 
yeah, that's kind of fun because then you're like, okay, I'm going to travel to this place and see how this, and you can read it, you know, you get to read it like it should be. Whereas if the game isn't running for whatever reason, or that place just doesn't exist yet, or that NPC doesn't exist, it, it works. So yeah, that was, that was quite cool. Um, kind of unrelated to save data exactly, but it was a way of us debugging and testing uh, the writing right. of the game. I have one last question for you, Greg. It's a, it's a, it's a another Unity question, and then we'll wrap it up. Is, uh, is all of Sable one Unity scene, or do you split it up? No, it's split up into a lot of scenes, and that's actually been well. It was good for us early on, but it was a, it became a problem in other ways. So, like stuff like the built-in Unity occlusion calling system, you can't mm-hmm. you it needs to be based. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a bit of a hassle, so we having to build a custom solution for that. And um, I remember there was some point we were like moving because we, the scale of the world, we were using a procedural generation system for the terrain. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a box that you can tick. Wait, is it, is it that, a baked procedural or does it remake it? Yeah, it's, baked, it's baked, it's baked. Um, okay, okay. But I mean, in the asset, it's just an asset store asset called Map Magic. I could change the seed. It's just a number and it would come up with a totally new terrain. <laughs> Um, you're like shit this is Sable 2 right yeah. here guys you got that yeah, seed yeah. written down on a piece of post-it or something <laughs> next to the monitor 0.342167 don't forget the 7 <laughs> yeah number 8 is bad it's very bad um, but there's also another button which just makes it infinite so it will load on infinitely so you could well, there was a version of the game early on where you could just drive off into the dunes infinitely and there was maybe an idea oh, that wow. we could loop it somehow or we would we would actually have it so you could drive like really absurdly far infinitely and we would actually maybe have gameplay out in the like kind of wastelands you know mm-hmm. um and eventually we just gave up on that idea but what we were having to do because of the way unity is calculating numbers just resetting everything to zero so the whole every every single asset in the game was reset to zero and then we had to make a custom solution for like nav meshes like what happens to your nav mesh Mm -hmm. if all of your stuff gets reset zero then you have to move your nav meshes right and we eventually didn't have to do that um because we baked the world and we made it a bit smaller and um it was it was okay in the end but um but yeah that was yeah, I can't remember the question now. I'm, I'm trying to remember where <laughs> I saw it. It's great. It's great. You know, yeah. it has to be as all one use. I feel like we, we got from you, we got, there's a, there's a text-based version of Sable. The yeah. game used to have an infinite world. I know Gareth right now is probably thinking of Diaries of a Spaceport Janitor because the way they do um, infinite world is super cool. They use this like, uh, almost imagine like a pie graph that's like split into three. And like, I don't even know how they did it. It's like some shader magic where like, the world sort of feels infinite, but you're actually walking in a circle around it, even though right. you're going straight. It's like, it's crazy. So yeah, no, I think this is great. I want to, yeah. So we've been, we're, we're to, do you guys want to say anything else or do you want to wrap it up? Obviously, Greg, congratulations on Sable. I mean, it's huge. Uh, I mean, I think like, I think it goes without saying, like it, it's been sort of crazy to watch. I think Sable specifically, like from, um, from an aesthetic perspective, like in all of us, the sort of references of that feels like it has like changed indie game aesthetics for at least the next five years. Like, I think that this sort of low poly thing was like really happening. Like Tim Reynolds, you know, 
God bless his soul. Like everybody did that. And then I'm seeing more games now that look like Sable. Like the aesthetic impact, especially of that game is so big. I hope you guys feel feel good because it seems like you've made a dent, which is uh which is super cool. So yeah, it's hard to feel that. I don't I don't feel that. Like people have said <laughs> things, but I, I I mean for me it's just like I'm just looking at our game and trying to figure out what's going on with ours. And you know, you get like, people why is sending everyone you, holding fish. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, exactly. That's I mean, I'm excited to see what people, you know, how people respond to it. I've seen there was one guy, uh I don't really use Instagram, but I follow a few random people. I don't know even know. There's this Nigerian developer who was making like these kind of funky looking, kind of strange little mobile type projects for years. And then like we released Sable and I just saw like a post from him the other day where he's like done a Sable style game. And he's like, he just had a thing. I was like, this is a ripoff of Sable, but I don't like the fact that it doesn't have combat. So I'm adding combat to Sable. And he has Sable like, with guns. Yeah, pretty much. And it, <laughs> And it was just like amazing. Like I love that. Like go for that it. That reminds but. me, I'm working on another waters clone with a, a speedboat. Yeah. So there's like a wake. You can yeah. wake. You can wakeboard behind the boat. Like nice. hope Gareth, hope you're okay with That's that. Cool. Yeah. Uh, it's a water sports version of. Inner I would actually love to see so. that. I think a top-down water sports game could totally <laughs> work. Yeah. I, top down. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you both so much for being on the podcast. Uh, we are Bad In Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at bad in pod email us at bad in podcast at gmail.com we are part of the superculture network gareth here is part of heterotopias we've got uh gareth is doing idea of evil actually on hiatus right now but if you care about berserk and you've been looking at that book in the back of uh greg's frame we got a whole bunch of episodes of talking about berserk the manga specifically not the anime so if you're a real head they're there for you. We also have Funland, which is a great video game magazine. And I feel like I'm missing something, but I think that's it. Oh, bullet points, obviously. Bullet <laughs> Sorry, points. Reed. <laughs> Sorry, Reed. Yeah. Bullet points is a great place to get all of your uh, news about video games and cool, awesome critique. Um, again, thank you both so much. Greg, congratulations. Gareth, congratulations. And to everyone else, we will talk to you later. Thank you.